Deep in the forest of Albion lay the small town of Oakvale, unchanged by time and untouched by the sword. Here lived... Aaron Thompson. Dreaming of greatness, of one day being a hero. And other times, Josh Karam dreamed of being an evil warrior. But in all their dreams of greatness, they could not possibly imagine the power of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast that lay before them. said Dungeons and Gathers podcast, I was ready to just start screaming. Ah! <laughs> but then you had more. So what was that from? Well, Aaron, as you might have noticed, uh, it's a fable that I'm telling from the game Fable 1. Oh. It's not called Fable 1, but it's the first fable. It's game. called Fable, right? Because the next one's Fable 2, right? So then it, yeah, you have to sort of backdate it. It's a sweet short intro, and it really paints the idea that the hero of our story can be good or bad in the end. And today on the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast, we're talking about alignments. Another one of those, we started with the Nat 20 memes and now we've come to alignment memes. And the exciting thing is because Candlekeep dropped today, people are making new characters and whenever you make a new character, you gotta put an alignment in there. And I think you and I have played D&D for quite a while now and I think both of us have played characters with different alignments from whether it's lawful good or chaotic evil or a lawful neutral, wherever you lie on the alignment chart. I think the thing that I or we have been talking about more and more is how different alignments can play with each other and sometimes how it hurts the progress of the party. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What happens whenever, you know, you're not all a party that's committed to doing the good thing? Definitely. Like, it's... You don't want to, like, force people into a corner where it's, like, everyone has to play with a good alignment. I actually played in a campaign once where someone was, like, no evil alignments, no neutral alignments. You all have to be good. And I was kind of like, okay, that that makes it easy to get to a certain plot point. But there needs to be at least that balance of some tension within the party. But also, not that you're going to go into civil war every other episode. (laughs) Right. It's a weird balance of, like... It adds grit, but sometimes can derail important plot moments, right? So from a like a narrative standpoint, if you're trying to make a story seem seamless, haha, seem seamless, <laughs> then you need to have everybody sort of be on the same page in terms of like, we got to all do the thing. So, and it, like, you have to save, you know, the prince and then... Hmm. You have to be invested in saving the prince, which is like a good act usually, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, well, you know, there could be other intents behind it but mostly a good act mostly good i imagine like an evil character could steal the prince to then like you know get a reward or like you know kill the prince themselves you know like there's lots of options yeah the classic example of just like a rescue mission right yeah like a a hapless party you're a quote-unquote fantasy damsel in distress right in this sense it's a whatever the male form of a damsel is duke in distress i actually don't know what the male form of whatever the opposite of a dame is right we're gonna figure it out Uh, if somebody knows please put it in the comments for us (laughs) either way this guy needs your help exactly so aaron i guess like one of the big things that comes up is you have paladins which 
There are different kinds of subclassing with paladins, of course, but a lot of people immediately think of lawful good paladin. Even the player's handbook says that paladins are usually lawful good. Yeah, like they're the goody two-shoes. They are the holy knight that's doing everything for what's right. But however, mm -hmm. you have characters like necromancers, which don't have to be evil or chaotic, but a lot of people paint necromancers as chaotic, sort evil people. Of. I'll never right. forget when I was playing Skyrim and I played a necromancer, and I'm like, no, I'm good. And Aaron, you're like, Josh, you're going to be so, like, evil. Every necromancer I've ever come across in my personal life as Aaron, right? Not as a player. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um <laughs> Like, everyone who plays a necromancer loves to make the joke that's like, I'm a good guy, as I, like, raise the corpse of this, you know, innocent person to fight for me. I love to, you know, get into, like, moral grays and, like, you know, sort of push boundaries on, like, who is good and who is truly evil, right? However, I think there are some things, there are some acts that I don't think raising the dead is ever a good thing. No. I don't think that, like, because ultimately it's like you're, like, removing free will, right, from yes. from somebody and, like, turning them to whatever your purposes are, even if they are good. It's like what Gandalf says about if he was to use the ring, even for good, right, because yeah. it is an evil object, it would turn all of his good against him. Exactly. And that's, and that's what a good person would say, too, right? It's someone <laughs> who's like, you. I will not mess with this power, for I know that it will corrupt mm -hmm. me. So can you have then, what are the scenarios where we could have, because we actually played a scenario that's very similar, where you have a paladin and a necromancer in the same party. Yeah. Because the second that a corpse comes up, the paladin's going to be like, that's undead. I have to smite that. Which literally happened. That was a play-by-play. We reached level five, the necromancer <laughs> summons a skeleton, the paladin immediately smites it. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it was quite quick. Uh, it was amazing to see a fifth level spell appear and then disappear. Oh, a third level us. spell, yeah, get oh, used right. up and then immediately disappear so quickly. What a sad moment. But how, I guess like the thing is, there's a lot of like, you know, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to that or no, we'll just like not focus on that yet. But inevitably the point's going to have to come where the paladin has to face the necromancer truly and say, stop doing this or yeah. we split the party or I will kill you. It's hard. You know, when you have really strong alignment conflicts, it can truly be a little game breaking, not in the way that like it takes you out of the game, but like it can put you at a standstill right yeah if you have players that are supposed to be able to all work together that's like the point of D, D. but instead they're saying that like they can't right because they're so like morally and ethically different from each other so what are you supposed to do so i think you could have like the paladin let back a little bit and maybe the necromancer uses it in like only dire situations but in the end somebody's alignment is gonna have to change i think right somebody so i think i was even i read the alignment section of the player's handbook right in preparation for today which is pretty short yeah it's it's like they one talk about page. how there's the, the main thing i want to point out is that it says that you know sometimes you do things that are outside of your alignment right yes. but if you make a habit of it then you can you should consider an alignment change but it's like it's not uncommon i think I think every once in a while a paladin can like, you know, interrogate someone and maybe engage in some light torture. You know, like I think that that's possible, that he can intimidate people. He doesn't always have to appeal to their better nature. Yes. Right? And I think it's open for the DM too because a lot of people get scared with paladins where it's like, you break the rules once and I will take mm -hmm. away your powers. Like, 
if there is truly a higher being in D&D, they're not going to be that harsh against a paladin for once intimidating somebody. <laughs> right. Although I like the idea of playing with really capricious gods. That's something that I think is cool and very, like, Greco-Roman, you know? I guess it's another DM question with that, but I think you're right. It, it comes down to, it's a broad definition, the alignment. It, mm-hmm. it is a Definitely. broad describer, but... If you do things that are way too off, like the paladin's like, you know what? I'm fine with you raising dead. I want to raise dead too. It's like, okay, all right, paladin. We're going to we're going to change your oath for we're, a second. We might need to talk about this. Yeah, well also the necromancer in question, right? Yes. <laughs> also says that his alignment is lawful good. I see you out there, Garth. I see you. We're looking at you right now. Which I now. love. It's funny. It's funny as hell, right? Cuz he's oh, like, you know, cuz lawful ultimately just means that you abide by a code of laws. Right, yes. that you believe in structures and like those sorts of things, right? Mm. Where chaotic is more like free spirited and you know just kind of out there. Yeah, if if the, truly the law that you believe to be good that you follow, right, is like how much can you pervert being lawful, right? Because I can mm. imagine Garth is lawful evil. I don't think it's so much about whether or not you believe you're a good. I think it's about like from an outside perspective, like do you, you know, do things maliciously or do you do them intentionally to hurt others? Like that's the good neutral evil debate. The the obliviousness of a character and how oblivious they are only goes so far before you have to say to the character like, you have to think about your alignment because you can't just be like, oh, this is unknowing to me mm-hmm. what I'm deciding right. there's, to there's do. There's some extent that like you don't choose your alignment specifically. Yeah. It's sort of like you discover your alignment as you make your actions. Sort of like in Fable. Hmm. Yes. Very, very good yes. segue back to ah. Fable. I, I'll never, oh man, I always did good in Fable. I got to tell you, I, I oh, can never do the it's, evil. Well, here's the other thing. It's easier to be good. Because we all, like, we all come to this game from, like, the real world that we live in where we all are pretty lawful people. We, like, follow the rules, you know, and we try and help people. We wouldn't, you know, be in a place to, like, play this game if we were all there, like, out there swindling and causing chaos and, like, you know, running, like, a Ponzi scheme. Like, we'd be doing other things with our time than playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. When you when you think about like, oh, I want to play as darker characters, in the end there is a side of good that is from you playing the character. So you mm-hmm. never want to be like, oh, I'm truly going down this dark road. Right. You're never going to be so incredibly cruel, I don't think. However, I want to just pose something quickly because it was interesting about good is easy and game. In Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, <laughs> which this is okay. the, be- the beginning of my rant here. I'm going to stop sure. after this. People believe that the easy mode of the game is the dark side. The dark side is the easier path. When you're paired with killing somebody or raising a bunch of money to set a peace treaty with another place, there's an easier option. Not That's morally true. necessarily, but the action itself is easier. Yes. No, that makes sense. And I think that's a good way to put like a moral prerogative is not the right word, but to make that sort of like a gray decision, right? Something that you have to like actually make a difficult choice between what is right and what is easy, which I think ultimately is like the the evil debate, right? Is like, do you just take the easy way out and do what evil is really just a self-serving thing? Not to talk about the color wheel. Right. But like maybe. But maybe a little bit. A little bit. A little a, bit. Just a little bit. And I'm not saying black is evil, right, as a color in Magic the Gathering. I am, however, saying that often self-interest can lend itself to more evil tendencies versus like a more group-minded approach that's more like peaceful, 
you know, is is more likely to be good. Granted, I think like the combination of them, like white and black, is still has equal powers to be good and evil. And that's all a matter of perspective, right? Where do you find yourself in that? Are you the in crowd that like you get the benefits of it and like have a supportive network of people that would viciously defend you? You know, or are you sort of like on the outside? Or are you like doing their dirty work for them to keep your peace? You brought it up really nicely in the Call Time Lore podcast we had, oh, where you. you were bringing up the idea of like Kaya, Nico, and Tyvar all work with each other. And you have white, white, black, white, blue, and green pseudo black, let's say. Pseudo black, right? pseudo black, yeah. But it's not like. Kaya and Tyvar are evil. Mm -mm, not at all. They have white and they're working together with someone. So there's like a great example that you can have evil tendencies and good tendencies or self-serving and selfless tendencies that still work together in a party. I didn't mention this exactly on the Call Time Lore podcast, I don't think. But when I was thinking about Tyvar's color scheme being like black and green, I think his his black aspects, his self-serving nature is just his his boastfulness. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, and that really applies to everybody that he knows, right? Mm. So it's like, that's sort of like, he has immense hubris, I think, or like once, like that thirst for glory for anybody in his circles, right, is sort of where he gets his selfishness from. Yeah, which is not inherently bad. No, yeah. definitely not. But the the boasting nature in general is such a Kaldheim uh, Viking lore, so that is perfect. So, Aaron, speaking of parties, I think that a lot of times when you play with more people in a party, there's like a click formation that happens. Oh. Where clearly Am certain... I in the click? I'm definitely in the click. You're in a click. Everyone's in a click. In the... Unless you're sadly like someone, like a neutral lineman, and then there's like two evil people and two good people, and you're like- and too good, and you're just kind of like, I'm the swing vote. It's, like, it's just whatever. Guys, I don't want to have to do this again. Like, I don't want to have That's to make this That's sort of how vote. it feels in Out of the Abyss, though. Because my character's neutral. I was about to say, because we have, I guess we could use the real life example. We have two characters that tend towards evil. I know that I'm in that party, and mm -hmm. I'm totally fine with that character making that choice. And two that sway towards good. And that's, yes, exactly, you are the neutral party in the end. But the thing is, I feel as though the division is going to happen to a certain point where it inevitably snaps. Is it okay to have the Civil War conflict? Sometimes the Avengers need to have civil war, right? Like that movie is important because those, if we're looking at the Marvel franchise, right? Like those are characters that have different goals. And whenever like things get difficult and the more, the higher the stakes go, the more that like we will place weight on the characters. And if your alignment is causing that weight to get split between two factions, hmm. it eventually will come to a breaking point. And I'm actually very excited for when we have that breaking point. I'm excited too. And I think like, and I understand this is a very uh, role play conversation. Like we're talking about like the acting part of it and like staying true to the character mm -hmm. where you could just have parties where it's like, we're working together because we want to have fun and you know. Which is totally also fair. Exactly. But with me, I want to work with the party as Josh, but we'll throw the character out there, right? My character, Traven, who is a very uh, conniving warlock, I feel as though the best thing for him is that he's completely self-serving. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care for attachment, really. So in the end, right. when it comes down to tough choices, I want to be able to say, like, I've evolved, but I don't feel that yet with the character, <laughs> where he'll probably just run away. Yeah. Which would be sad, you know, at, at some point, someone's got to give up their character, right? Yeah. I think we've talked about this off mic before because we're dropping names, right? My name is Kiva in an, in um Out of the Abyss, and I'm a druid. Surprise, which is why I'm neutral. What? <laughs> um, 
Kiva, his greatest thing is that he wants this party to stay together because they're the best chance he has of getting out of the abyss, yes. right? Of escaping the Underdark, which I turns out is not everybody's goal. I have a couple conversations that I've been brainstorming in my head between Traven and Kiva, right? That's like, you are allowed to change your mind. Like, alignment can be a flexible thing, right? So, like... It's never too late. I think I think Aaron and also Kiva is holding out hope that like the longer that we all spend together and becoming invested in each other, maybe we can put some of that selfishness aside on both sides, right? Interesting. So like maybe we can convince the paladin to say like it is in our best interest to allow the necromancer to help us win fights and like defeat these greater foes like the fact that your brother is a necromancer is not really important to me right now you can deal with that once we've escaped but like it's on my list of priorities it is not high and that's how you know that kiva is neutral you know it's interesting you bring that up because a part of the conversation i wanted to have on that and not as in i am being traven and i'm talking to kiva right now but but um how much can you bend your alignment before you are no longer what you represent? It's an excellent question. I think this is also like as people. So like as like real people, we have certain tendencies and habits that we fall into. Some people are more empathetic than others. And some people, you know, tend to be more self-centered. And those are not, that's not supposed to be like a good evil metaphor. There's like two qualities I came up with. And I'm thinking that like over time, those things can change. For the most part, I fall into the camp that like, we have a base personality and then everything else is sort of like an extension or like diminution of that, you know? So you can either choose to accentuate the more good parts of your character as you grow and work with a with people, right? And still keep at your core that like, I actually am like pretty chaotic. So like I maybe I started, I'm looking at the chart, right? So I started at chaotic evil and I feel like you can move sort of one block away, you know, yes. every once in a while without without doing a whole alignment flip, right? It's so like you could go, you could start to calm down being chaotic. You could go towards neutral evil, right? You could you could be a little bit less evil, you know? Start thinking about people other than yourself, but maybe not in the whole, you wouldn't jump the whole way to chaotic good. But if you can take a step to chaotic neutral, that feels like it's in character for me still. And I think it's just a lot to ask because it, the one step makes sense because we're talking about changing morality and then changing attitudes on society and order. Those are both big steps and taking both of them at the same time to, as you said, move from chaotic evil to neutral is a little crazy but chaotic evil to a neutral evil or a chaotic neutral would make sense mm-hmm. because right it's less asking your character to be like change yeah <laughs> yeah the other thing too um i've talked about this before that one of my favorite tropes is um when villains have to work with the heroes yeah and they make and they like totally are fine with the fact that they don't like each other hmm. they're like i'm only here because i have to and there's like a greater power. Once we've killed like our common enemy, like we're going to go back to hating each other because like that's just the way that things are because we don't get along like the witch and into the woods right in the oh, second yes. act. That's like my favorite example. And so I think you can still have an evil character that for circumstances is working with good and neutrally aligned people. Right. Or even across like the lawful to chaotic boundary. And I think that character is still allowed to scoff and mock all of the good characters the whole time. Yeah. And just be like, but I have no better options. So, like, I'm clearly still helping you, but it doesn't mean that I have to be happy about it. And I like to think, like, D&D modules, there's a couple that do, you know, great jobs of putting you in those kinds of situations. The Abyss, Icewind Dale, any campaign that really starts you in a prison, you know what I mean? Things Mm -hmm. where it's like, 
I don't have a better shot. Right, like those connections are really forged in fire. So even if you don't actually, so this is why we've been betrayed so much. Yeah, out of the abyss. Yeah, that's side that's note. A Possible spoilers. Betrayal is a real thing. Also, uh, not a spoiler, but mechanically, insight's there for a reason. But I find that, especially as me as a player, I forget about insight a lot. Mm. Just constantly question things. I don't know. Like it feels weird to always be asking for insight checks, but at least a little bit because I find mm. myself never doing. I, it. I would almost want to be like DM. Just keep in mind my passive insight. You know, True. and if it's. And just in general, like, give me a heads up. It's like, hey, Kiva, you should roll insight on this. And then mm. if I fail that one, you'll be like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the problem with insight, too, is, like, it comes off of you as a player being suspicious. I was about to say. And then if you fail, then you have to, like, forget what you thought you knew. You know? Like, yeah. you have, like it's it's really easy to slip into metagaming once you start talking about insight. Exactly. And if there's a character that you really trust and they end up turning on you, you're probably never going to be suspicious of them to begin with. So right. that's just, hey, mm-hmm. that's acting right there. <laughs> and it's just a cool, it's a cool, like, character growth moment also. Like, mm. you grow a lot from betrayal. But, hey, it's good that we have these situations that keep us together. Because I'll say for Out of the Abyss personally right now, I, I see Don't us sticking together. Me. Yeah, I know, I know. We, everyone's <laughs> going to ship our characters once uh, this is out in the public, of course. <laughs> Treva. Hashtag Treva. Hashtag Treva. But exactly, like, whether or not it is the goal, I, I'll i say, I don't want to say it really, but, like, there is a reason to be in a party right now, and that mm-hmm. is the strongest reasoning that exists for my character personally. Yeah, So definitely. Which is really nice. Shout out to Kiva, the true green-white druid that we all need. Just uh, keeping the peace and bringing everybody together. And shout out to Traven, the black-blue warlock that steals things. Oh, yeah. I also want to give a little shout out to warlocks Um, in the whole alignment debate. When we think about how much can we actually call certain actions morally gray. Like, yes. can you have a good warlock? Like, to some extent, warlocks always make a deal with a being more powerful than them. Yes. Right? Like, they don't do it like a cleric. They don't devote their life in the service of a deity, which can be evil or good. They, like, make a bargain, and sort of, they don't trade their soul, per se, like, outright, but, like, a little bit. Yeah. So, to what extent, that's always a little bit ambiguous to me. Unless you DM homebrew it to the idea where you were not conscious of the pack you made, if you make a pack with a demon, like... That says a lot right there. There's no mm-hmm. real moral gray with that. It's hard like, to be good, yeah. Because they say in the book, too, in the player's handbook, right, that, like, demons are inherently evil. Like, that is how they were created. Yes. And, like, to, if they weren't evil, they wouldn't be a demon. True. That's why there's angels. like <laughs> Right. Or celestials, I should say. That's why there's celestials. Yes. Not angels. Because there are some angels that are self-serving at the same time. Mm-hmm. We know that from Magic the Gathering especially. Yeah, we do. But I guess I guess that's why in the Warlock book they added things that aren't demons to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the genie could be flavored in certain ways. The Archfey. Yeah, that could be like a chaotic good sort of thing. Both of those sort of ride chaotic good for me. Yeah, I guess they're not very lawful, right? Like, you're breaking something of uh, societal I could see, like, the goo, the great old one. Oh, Um, yes. The goo. goo. That could be pretty lawful and, like, a very lawful neutral, you know? Oh, that's fair. That is a good point. Something that's just, like, so ancient and, like, unmoved by any sort of, like, moral 
prerogative. Hmm. There we go. I finally got to use the phrase moral prerogative. I was about to say, when we're talking about morality, it's a good thing we got around mm-hmm. to that. <laughs> so, Aaron, another thing I wanted to toss on you is mm-hmm. character ah, ideas. Ah, get it off me. No. Ah, take that. Take that goo. You brought up the goo. I had to bring the goo back up. Yes, bring the goo back. Bring the goo in. Anything for you, Beyonce. (laughs) So I was, I've been thinking of like, I do want to play a truly evil character. It might happen in Out of the Abyss, but I want to play a a, like an evil character at some point. But I don't want to like throw on my party immediately being like, hey, group, I know a lot of you are thinking of probably not playing, but I want to be like an evil person and he'll be mean and Maybe he's a Dompier, as we said before. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you Maybe guys you think of this? really evil vampire thing. I want to, like, take it a tone back first. Like, I always thought about trying to do... Something maybe like a lawful evil paladin of the conquest, mm-hmm. where it's simply like I I will fight with you guys, but every enemy we defeat we kill. Just that yeah. simple. And I don't know if that might just be neutral or that could even sway as lawful good. Weirdly enough, because you think you're doing it for the greater good. Definitely not. I think that goes back to like even if you think you're doing it for the greater good, it is still an evil act. Malum prohibitum, right, is an action evil within itself. Oh, good. To quote point. legally blonde. Yeah, I was gonna say ethics, but yes, legally blonde. Mm-hmm. White shoes after Labor Day. Oh wow. Anywho, the, I, the legally blonde got me harder than I thought it would. Yes, that's my secret weapon. But I think the thing this reminds me of um, when I was playing Sonic Adventure Two Battle. One of the greatest games um, of all time. I know. Just wait till we do the intro that's that. And it's just like the... <laughs> just wait for that one. Oh, my favorite. So, anywho, when you unlock the Chow Gardens, right? And, like, one of them is, like, heaven and the other is hell. Yeah. Right? The process of, like, getting an evil Chow and then, like, hanging out in the evil Chow realm was, like, really disturbing to me as a child. And I never felt good about it. I never dove there. It's, like, spooky and there's, like howling sounds and the water is like red so it looks like blood i think that that has the that has the possibility in a campaign to just get like really heavy and very dark yeah to always be doing bad things you know and i think it's it would have to probably be a campaign that is just set to be evil i think that like everybody plays evil characters right yeah that's a good point you almost do like a suicide squad sort of thing except for like good good as in like high quality not like good as in morally good Okay, I was about to say, like, if, if it was Suicide Squad, if you're doing the good against your will. I, I And you're right, too. Like, I never want to be too evil because I don't feel good making those actions. Mm-hmm. It feels weird. You know, if you, like, walk into a town and you're like, what's up? We're going to kill all of you. Yeah. Like, that doesn't seem fun just to, like, murder people. That's, like, a little bit too real to, like, how some things happen in the real world. And I try to play D&D to escape. Also, I guess, like, when you're playing a character that would walk into a town and kill people just because, you have to think of a backstory that really portrays that. And that's not easy. Like, to come up with a reason why you don't care and you just want to murder everyone. Like, that sucks. I have a sort of scheme for a character like that. Oh. Not that he wants to murder everybody. He wants to murder very specific people. Okay. And actually, one of his character goals, so I'm playing in Eberron, and his tragic backstory is, like, like my father basically, like, destroyed my family in the service of one of the dragon-marked houses, like, during the war. And so, and, like, my character basically blames the dragon-marked houses for tearing apart his whole family and ruining his childhood. So, one of his things is he wants to destroy every dragon-marked house. Yeah. Right? And, like, some of those are decent people. So, like, that seems like 
a possible evil thing that this character could do. Yes. So I could see that, like, that seems motivating. That sort of, like, revenge plot, I think, could be an okay sort of evil thing to play out. And you brought it up from the very beginning of this podcast. Morally Gray is the most fun to play, or at least a little bit of Gray. Your character doesn't have to be completely neutral in morality. But the idea when I was doing Ravnica, for example, and I was playing a lawful good character, but you helped me to entice a little bit of, like, mm-hmm. well, there's something in her. Like, she doubts her guild a little bit, right? And right. Th- things just make it a little more interesting than Boros is the best. I trust Boros no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just anything to help bring flexibility because, like, that's how real people are. I don't like to break people. But um, no. I like to look at, at people that have really strong values and just like if you put enough pressure on them, you know, like in a character setting, right? Hmm. Like to what extent will they bend? Where can they go? You know, huh. like how strong is your faith to your guild? Like, would you question them ever? And like, if, even if they were doing a wrong thing, would you would you turn a blind eye? Because sometimes that's what lawful good is. Yeah. It's like, I believe that my institution is doing the best thing. They appear outwardly to be good aligned, you know, like Hmm. they could be on a holy crusade. Right. And that seems like the lawful good thing to do. Yeah. Like, would you question it? But people are dying in the process. Right. Innocent people. Right. Villages are burned. You know, people are (sighs) tortured. That doesn't seem good. Wow, the fact that this game could spew such a conversation of morality makes me love it Mm -hmm. so much. (laughs) Tension is good. I think Mm -hmm. if you play a party of all good people, like say if you're a total party of lawful good, there's no conflict within the party. There could be exterior conflict, like the dragon steals somebody from the Mm -hmm. king, and you have to fight that. And you can't have a party that's like so good and evil that nothing ever gets done because that's just the the role playing part of it is rich, but you go nowhere the entire time. You go nowhere, right? You never escape the first dungeon. So that bit of tension, because I won't lie, I'm a sucker for it. I loved it when like characters when I DM don't get along with each other from the beginning. I think right. that's great. I think there's a difference too between like characters who disagree versus characters that like don't get along or refuse to work together. Because at the end of the day, like you can't be so rigid. I don't mean to call out paladins again. I'm really sorry. I I no. played a paladin too. Screw those so guys. Please call me out if I'm doing it. Too I've never much. played a paladin. I oh. don't want to. Oh, don't Mm-mm. do like a. I've played like paladin. three different kinds of clerics though, so. Uh, well, it's fine. clerics are my favorite class, so I completely I know. understand. Every, almost every enemy that we fight that is a spellcaster casts spiritual weapon. N- no. I'm taking that's not note. True. Yeah, that's true. It's happened that in the last true. two fights. Those were really back-to-back with spiritual weapon wielders mm-hmm. now that I think about it. But when you make a paladin and you go for the redemption route or something along those lines, it's the lawful good thing you immediately go with. And you just have to find a way where you're not just always going to be set in one mindset when you build the character. Otherwise, it's hard to work with other characters. When I was playing Zizia to begin with in Ravnica, I didn't want to work with any of them. But then I realized... Mm -hmm. But you have to. I have this doubt, and I need to fulfill that doubt, so it doesn't matter that I would never work with any of these scum. I have to do it for the greater good. And then hopefully you realized as you played that some of them weren't scum. Yes, exactly. Maybe. Although two of them were still a little bit scummy. I love you guys. Hey, ha It's just you were evil, you know, and that's fine. But you were going to talk on the Redemption Paladin, which I, I have a yeah, feeling I know Yeah, so because um, my character's boyfriend, 
um, in Eberron. Playing I thought you were going to talk about Ralph's Eric again for some reason. I'm so sorry. It's close. It's close because my character is a storm sorcerer, so he's not too far away. There he's we, very Ral inspired. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like a chaotic storm sorcerer type, right? And my boyfriend is a redemption paladin. So oh. we're like we're, we're like already talking. Sorry, my in-game boyfriend, right? Let's clarify. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, we're, like, already talking about how our characters are going to fight, you know? Mm. Like, our characters are going to love each other and, like, disagree every step of the way about what we should do. Because oh. his character believes that everyone can be redeemed or should have an opportunity to redeem themselves. Interesting. And that doesn't go and, with your character, no? Yeah, no. And my character has such a, like, a black and white view of the world fueled by, like, all of the pain that he's been through that's just like i can't afford to see things that way like people who hurt me need to be punished which i think is neat and i think ultimately i don't plan to stick in that same argument for very long because i think Hmm. once it's played out once your alignment conflict has been played out just like in an acting scene right yes something has to change otherwise the scene doesn't move on exactly we're telling a story in this game Mm -hmm. right and you won't want to keep having the same fight so so i think when you feel that tug that says like we are just butting heads. I something needs to change. I think you can take that as an inclination that your character might be feeling that too. I I get that. Yeah, and I was gonna also bring up this. It might be a little silly, but in Out of the Abyss, when I play as Traben, like Traben doesn't like attachment, but he thinks that uh, a drow elf war lady named Asha is really attractive and he wants to spend time with her. It's a weird development to say that I kind of want to attach myself to that, but you're right, it's opening up at least. Like, you're, mm-hmm. there is a sense of you. That there can... are some things that you want to attach yourself to. Yes, exactly. You, because you're right, if you play the, the um, necromancer who's like, I will revive dead all the time and I will control their corpses and nothing will stop me. It's like, okay, well you're kind of stuck in there, aren't you? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just two-dimensional. I guess that's that's one of the big answers, right? It's conflict's okay. Conflict is okay. The main thing is that conflict has to go somewhere. Once you've disagreed, it's not enough just to say, well, we disagree, right? Yeah. Because that's not the story that we're trying to play out here. Exactly, because that's going to fester and inevitably, like, you don't go anywhere. Right, so then I guess the question is, like, whose character gives up? In actuality, I think it should be a compromise where you both have to concede a little bit. You know, it shouldn't just be, like, it shouldn't just be the evil character that has to, like, fine, I'll play goody two-shoes, blah, you know? Interesting. At first I thought of it the other way around, where it's the morally good character having to be the bigger person. Interesting. Huh. Oh, well, now I like this. Ooh, yeah. Now I see where we're coming from, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. I feel bad that I just came from the evil perspective. I guess in the intro I said I was on the evil perspective, so it's fine. Yeah, it's that's fine. fair. We all know where we line up here. Yeah. That's... I've seen the double-sided cards. You've seen the modal double face. I've flipped <laughs> to the other side. I've played the other right. side. <laughs> that artifact. Yeah, that Hexblade artifact. We're going to make these cards, but if we don't make an audience again, please, uh, please fan art please those help if us. you can. But no, yeah, three-dimensional, conflict's okay, uh, don't let it fester, but it's just being deep with your character and realizing, and right, you brought it up, like, there's a little bit of good in all of us, and there's a little bit of, like, connivingness in all of us. Like, bring mm-hmm. that into the character, because these are, usually, unless you're playing a Warforged, these are people. <laughs> Yeah, unless you're playing a Warforged. Which can have Even emotion. Even though Warforged, are, like, they have emotions. They don't make expressions, right? Yes. But that's something I'm also running into in my Eberron campaign. Is every once in a while the DM will be like, well, if 
If she had a face, she would look very surprised, but she has cold, unblinking robot eyes. <laughs> I always do the one where it's like, and he smiles as much as a skeleton could smile. Like, I, mm-hmm. that's that's the way I play it. We play with an emotional, well, we, we had an emotional Warforged guest in one of our campaigns, Matt. Yes, we did. So he was lovely. He, 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 it's possible. You could, you can make a deep character no matter what. And I think that's Anything really just possible. the bottom line. Uh, don't be afraid to go terribly deep into a character because it's better than being two-dimensional and if we want to say color wheel wise being just one color in the wheel right yeah being monocolor is seldom as exciting you know as having the 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 interplay of two colors especially two colors that oppose each other across the wheel yes right oh this is great. get your blue greens get your red blues your black whites Whites. your black greens Mm. all of them oh so good well, Aaron, I feel really good about this. I I feel I have a really neutral good expression on my face right now because I'm like <laughs> oh, really. Oh wow! I have a bit of this. a chaotic good expression on my face. Ooh. Okay. All right. We all know. I think I'm a bit more chaotic than you. Oh, definitely. I tend. I probably line more with lawful. To be fair, like. I want to, like, say that I would break out, but knowing myself as, like, a person where I'm, like, I got to stay in line, like, I know that I would play the the paladin in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, though, like, if a door says exit only, like, I won't walk through it, Hmm. you know? So, like, there are certain things that I'm, like, I just can't break the rules. We're talking about making characters, right? And we actually have Mm -hmm. a big announcement that involves Big announcement! Mr. Krabs, I have an idea! I was waiting for SpongeBob to come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a SpongeBob one. T- I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> yeah, we are. We weren't before, but now we super are. That'll be a future thing. Push that to the future. On mm-hmm. March 30th, we'll be releasing a Candlekeep one shot. I will be DMing. Aaron will be a player in it, and we'll have a couple other people on. It'll be really fun. It will instead of the regular podcast, we will have this one shot podcast that comes out. So keep your calendars marked for March 30th and. Get ready to solve some mysteries. And in case you're really worried about the whole alignment conundrum, don't worry, because liking and subscribing to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast is guaranteed not to change your alignment. It's a truly lawful, good, chaotic, evil, neutral thing to do.